Dio Byers sitting on the fence, taking no action, doing nada. They're waiting for the sky to fall. They're waiting for interest rates to be back in the 3%. They're waiting for a foreclosure to pop up on the market. We get it. We have the ultimate professional, Lisa Wells, on the podcast today, breaking down what is actually happening in the mortgage world, what is actually happening with interest rates, not the hype you're seeing on the news. We have the professional talking about what's actually happening. Let's dive in. You're listening to the Girl Get Your Face Off a Bus Bench podcast, where we invite you to check your ego at the app, grab a cup of coffee, and get ready to dive into all things real estate marketing, social media, friendship, hardship, love, money mindset, and all the things that celebrate you as a badass boss babe. We're here to encourage you, show up for you, give you a loving kick in the pants when you need it most, and be your soft place to land on the hardest of days. So pull up a seat at our table and get ready to be inspired and start living your best life by design. Welcome to the Girl Get Your Face Off a Bus Bench podcast. We are so excited you're here. Okay, girls, let's dive in. All right, Bus Bench Babes, today we have a super awesome treat for you. We are interviewing Lisa Wells. She is an incredible mortgage banker with Cross Country Mortgage. And one of the main reasons why I wanted to have her on the show is because, Lisa, you are all about education. I love that. Like, you know your stuff. And there are so many buyers that, like, pushed the pause button last year when interest rates went up. And then we're still seeing the move, the, the, like the, the market's still moving forward. And these buyers, in my opinion, are like seconds away from getting le- left in the dust and being out of luck. Um, so we wanted to chat with you today all about like the reality of interest rates, how they can impact buyers in the short and long term, and like how we as agents can just educate our clients better. And yeah. you are the perfect person for all of this. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me on. This is fun and I'm excited to to do this. I think that um, real estate agents, mortgage people, we battle the media and the headlines all the time. And so it's really fun to have a platform where we can talk about the realities of the market and some of the, the things that we think are important with boots on the ground and not some of the scare tactics that I think the media portrays about buying a home this year. Totally. Okay. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us like maybe like background in mortgages. And then when you're not doing mortgage, like, what do you like to do for fun? Oh my gosh. Um, so I have done mortgage for 22 years. That's all I've ever done. Um, I can't imagine doing anything else, even though this is an incredibly frustrating business some days. Um, (laughs) I feel like every single day is different. Every client is different. Every market is different. Um, And I just think it really keeps you on your toes. So for me, I like that piece of it. Um, Yeah, and I was not a finance person. I I really like to think I was uh, the first probably 12 years, I I would... uh, call myself a customer service rep at Wells Fargo. Like I handled people that came in the door. I said, you have option A or option B. 
and probably the really the last 10 years since I've had a business coach, I've really worked on becoming that advisor to clients and really being able to interpret the market and what's going to happen and why would we do this versus that? Because there, believe it or not, there is a lot of strategy with a mortgage. And I think the biggest misconception is that we are a commodity and we can be received anywhere and you can, but what you can't get is the strategy. And there are some times where things can be more expensive down the road with the wrong strategy put in place. So I think the last 10 years, I've spent a lot of time on that working on that, learning the business, running the business like a business, not just a mortgage person, if that makes sense. Totally yeah. makes sense. And it totally shows. It shows. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So when you're not doing business, yeah, what do you do? I was going to say, when I'm not doing mortgage, I really had to think about that one because the mortgage part's easier. Um, well, <laughs> I, <laughs> I have two kids who are 16 and 18 at this point. And they are basketball players, which we pretty much watch year round. They play year round. So that has been a huge part of if I'm not doing this, I'm doing that or trucking them somewhere. Now they can drive. So it saves me hours a week. But I spent a lot of times in my car while they were at practice doing calls, doing a Wi-Fi hotspot so that I could do work. (laughs) You guys get it. Um, But yeah, and now really, I just like the simple things in life, right? Like a nice dinner, reading a book, being home, just, yeah, relaxing versus all day long, someone wants you or needs you or wants a call back from you. So for me, my spare time is quiet time. I love that our husbands are both in law enforcement or both were in law enforcement. My husband came home from work one day and he said, Hey, I met this really cool guy and he works for the, you know, the whatever, whatever, the park system. And he's a retired cop. And he goes, she goes, he's married to a loan officer and her name is Lisa. And I go, yes, Lisa Wells. I know that well. So it's so funny that they met at holiday gas station just down the road one day. (laughs) connection. Exactly. That's really fun. I love that. Yeah. Okay. So I have a question for you here. So it seems like buyers are fixated on the rates we had during COVID, which like, let's be real, are most likely not coming back anytime soon, Mm -hmm. but they're stuck there as if it's the norm and it's something that we should expect. So can you share what would need to happen in the world for the rates to be in the threes again? Um, So During 20 and 21, which we would call COVID years, the average interest rate um, in uh, 2020 was 2.96% on a 30-year fixed mortgage. In 2021, the average interest rate was 3.10. So those are the two years that were the lowest since 1971. And what would it take to go back there? So I think one, if you look at that COVID era, the economy shut down. Mm -hmm. There was a global pandemic, not a US, a global, which our economies are now global. So when something happens in China or Japan or wherever, it trickles into our economy. Sometimes interest rates will move up because Japan did something to their interest rates. So we live in a global economy. So we have a global pandemic, economy shut down and that then caused the Fed to push interest rates down and deal money out like a blackjack table to make people simply survive and pay their bills. So I always tell clients that say, oh, well, I want to go back to that rate. I'm like, I don't know about you, but I do not want to go back 
to 20 and 21 for that reason. The world was different and our world is forever changed. But to get things back to the threes, so you know, if I go back and I looked back from 70 and 71 and I got to look or 70 to current and I got to look at my numbers here, but really in 15, 16 and 17, we had average interest rates in the mid to upper threes. So we have had interest rates in the threes multitudes of times before, but during that era, again, the government was pushing interest rates down and then we had a pop up and then they caused interest rates to go up and then COVID happened. So we think the challenge is in general, a normal market interest rate average in this era, which is kind of like the 2000s and beyond, is probably about mid fours, mid to low fours. Interesting. And if you look prior to like the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, interest range everywhere from 17 down to like five, six, seven, eight. But that was the range. But now we've kind of set a new range in era where, yes, we've had this six and seven and people's heads popped off because they were like, oh, my God, what is happening? But what I think the most important thing for clients to understand is that interest rates move in cycles. And this is a cycle that we had to have. And this too shall pass. And that's why when I tell them refinancing happens, like I have lived in four houses and my first house, I refinanced twice, but I only lived there three years. My second house, I refinanced twice. I lived there seven years. My third house, I refinanced once and I lived there five years. So I think what I want people to understand is that the mortgage is not forever. And there are different times and cycles where your life events or your monetary needs will come before an interest rate. So sometimes people have to do a refinance and cash out because they've got kids going to school. So a rate is very important, but it's not the end all be all for buying. It's important, but it's a window of time of which you will have it. I love how you explain that and they put more education behind it instead of just spewing out a rate and saying, okay, like this is the rate and this is what it is giving some context behind it helps people like wrap their brain around like what that number means and how it should be, or maybe not be important to them. Well, and I think everyone is hyper focused on interest rates because it's what they know to be hyper focused on. True. Because everybody talks about it. The news talks about it. The fed is like, I mean, I watch interest rates move every hour of every day. I'm fixated, but that's my job. You know, like (laughs) the public should not be. But I also think that there are certain times where the higher interest rates are a benefit. You know, we live through 20 and 21 where every house had multiple offers. Every house was having way higher purchase prices. And most people didn't care because they were like, oh my gosh, interest rates are 3%. Like for 10 grand, that changed your payment by like $40 a month. Well, now when interest rates crept up, there were less multiple offers. There were less. So there are opportunities in each market. It's just what is the opportunity or what is your driver when your time is to buy? That's really what it comes down to. Totally. Um, Lisa, can you share a little bit about like the history of interest rates, like in our modern time? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Like, so just don't understand it. And I know that you're going to be able to break it down and make it make sense. So interest rates will follow inflation, bottom line. So when we started to see inflation creep up this year, everyone thought it was transitory, which means short term, because remember how COVID shut everything down. Mm-hmm. So nobody could get stuff at the stores. Toilet paper was sold out. Shipping, you know, was they were, you know, docked in San Diego Harbor or whatever harbor for months and months and months. And you couldn't get stuff. Well, then the cost of goods went up and they thought, oh, well, as soon as we make it through kind of this, um, this kind of bubble of, you know, transportation woes, inflation will come right back down. But it didn't. And so when it didn't, then all of a sudden, interest rates start really going up because inflation is going up. And inflation is simply when our money, the value of money is eroded. So, you know, remember when when I was a kid, a Twix bar at the grocery store cost 50 cents or a quarter or 50 cents. Well, now it's a buck, right? That's inflation. The cost of that very same item went up because the value of our dollar has lost a little bit over time. And so interest rates, in order to slow down the economy because it's going too fast or it's growing too quickly and we'll lose the value of our dollar, the Fed starts to increase interest rates. And when they increase interest rates, they cost everything else to get more expensive. The cost of borrowing, the cost of um, you know doing credit cards or anything like that. And that's meant to happen. So when the Fed does that, keep in mind, the Fed is not raising our interest rates, but our interest rates follow. And so they're raising what businesses borrow money at, what banks can exchange money at. So when they raise those rates, everything else gets more expensive. And so interest rates will come down. We can already see it from October 24th to basically a week ago, Thursday, interest rates moved almost a point and a quarter down. That's great. And it's because, and even though the Fed's still kind of moving things, but it's because inflation readings came down. So everyone wants to know when, when, when are interest rates going to come down when inflation comes down and it's on its way down, but it never goes in a straight line. Always like. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of makes my brain hurt. Things are breaking that down. It's a very easy way to digest that. Yeah. Yeah. And even sometimes when I think it's easy, it's not easy. But that's what makes it work. So, yeah. So, like, how do we help buyers without shaming them to, like, educate them to, like, get them to move forward, realize that our sky is not falling, but to understand the financial impact of them waiting to buy a home, especially those first-time buyers that are spending a fortune on rent every month? Yeah. Um, For me, like, I love how you use the word without shaming them. Because I think that's really important because as a mortgage person, I always tell clients, I see you buck naked financially, not literally. <laughs> <laughs> Which can be more terrifying than the reverse, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but I see every, you know, I see every deposit into your bank account. I see your earnings. I see what you're spending your money on. I don't pay attention all that much because I look at a gazillion bank statements, but We see it all. And I think sometimes people can be really self-conscious of like, I know I'm this age, I should have more money, I should spend less, blah, blah. Hey, there's nothing that you're going to show me that I have not seen 
a million times over. So I think that's always just so important for people that you're not going to show me anything that's going to surprise me or it's going to see my first time ever seeing it. Okay. But I think what's important is for people to really understand the cost of waiting. And for me, I'm a very big data person because I feel like data is non-emotional. And I feel like sometimes buying a home or money can be emotional. And so anytime I feel that, it's like, let's take the emotion out and then let's just look at data because data makes us think differently. It makes us think with our gut, not our heart. Like I think realtors want clients to think with their heart, right? Because then they're emotionally drawn and then they, right? Totally do that in reverse. Yeah. Yes. But for me, sometimes I want them to think with their gut because that can, you can look and go, now, does it make more sense to to keep renting and pay X and have that go up? Or does it make more sense to buy, take a little bit higher interest rate, get that appreciation because we still see even now in the Twin Cities market, at least one and a half to two and a half percent is what our estimate is for the next year. But beyond that, we are going to see it go back up to about four to five percent annual appreciation again, which is going to keep growing. And so for me, I really show them data and numbers that say, I would much rather have you get and receive that appreciation than pay it in a year because you're doing a few things. You're paying down a mortgage. You're, um, it's a forced savings account, right? When you pay down a mortgage, you're paying down the principal, but that equity or that home value is going to keep going regardless you know, of what you're paying. And then in a year or so, when interest rates do come down and we can refinance, now then let's refinance and then let's really make that payment really comfortable and really then can put some dents in that principal and interest payment and really bring that mortgage down. But as a renter, rent has been steadily going like this. In some markets, it's like this. Yeah. And you're paying someone else's mortgage. So I think one of the biggest things on first-time buyers is getting them to understand with their gut and with data what those numbers look like and also kind of understanding your first house is never perfect. <laughs> that is <laughs> that is one of the hardest things is to wrap people's brain around the fact that you're probably going to be there for five years max Yes, and use it as a building block to get you to your that dream house. Yes. I always tell people like my first home, I bought it in 1998. It was 101,000. It was in St. Louis Park. It was every penny I had plus a couple that I had to borrow. And it was ugly. I mean, literally the most wretched brown shade carpet, turquoise walls. I was like, did a colorblind person live here before me? Because this is crazy. But like I could see a paint, a little bit of hardwood floor. I could see through all of that. And most importantly, it was mine. I didn't have Mm -hmm. a landlord telling me don't pound holes in the wall or don't do this or don't do that, but it was mine. And honestly, I sold that property in 2003 and I did very little work to it. I did some hardwood floors, re-sanding, a lot of elbow grease, of painting. I painted the cabinets. I have Formica countertops, which probably is a level lower than laminate. Right, <laughs> and I sold it for like two hundred forty thousand. Wow! And for me, I would have never got to my next house if I didn't start and see through 
some of the things that I had in a previous apartment that were probably a little bit nicer. And I almost took a step backwards to make and get my own. And I think that's the biggest challenge for first time buyers today is they're like, well, I don't want to live in a dump. Nobody does. But sometimes you have to start because that's how you get, you know, equity and that's how you can build it up and that's how you get to the next home. So I think that's also besides interest rates and, you know, staying comfortable with renting. That's the next challenge. Oh, that's such a good perspective. I would say all the luxury apartments all that they're putting up all over the Twin Cities are really doing first-time homebuyers a disservice because they want like, oh, I want this and I want black hardware and I want quartz and this and that. And I'm like, I get it. You might not get that in your first home, but like you said, it's yours. You get to do whatever you want with it. Yes. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason that 80% of Americans, the majority of their wealth is in their home. Or that's real so interesting. So and interesting. I think that's, you're never going to get that. And, and the other thing too, the earlier people start, time's on your side. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love to see people in their 20s buy houses. I think it's I incredible. It. Yeah. They are so much farther ahead. Yes. Totally. I have a question for you. So do you happen to have any specific stats about how much people waste on renting like versus waiting to buy like year after year, like what that looks like? I think that's hard because it's all in perspective, right? Sure. But we, I have um, data that shows, and if I did like the cost of waiting to purchase a home, basically if you waited one year, it would cost you about 10000 because you are not paying down the mortgage, right? So you're not building that equity. Plus, if we expect homes to increase one and a half to two and a half percent, guess what? If you wait a year, you're going to pay that much more for that house. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the combination of data that we look at. And on a 350 house, if someone waited three years, and this is even with us looking at current rates at about six and a half on a 30 year, and even in three years, looking at a four and a half interest rate, because I think that's where they'll be. If you waited three years, roughly it would cost you would have lost out on about forty five thousand dollars worth of principal reduction and appreciation. So we do this for every individual client that's renting that can kind of, you know, it's like saying, oh, I don't know if it makes sense or whatnot. We do this because what we don't think about is not only what we're paying, interest deductions that we're losing principal reduction that we're losing and appreciation that we're now going to have to pay a year or two or three down the road. It's a lot. It adds up quick. That's really adds up quickly. So Mm -hmm. what are you and your team doing to educate buyers that got pre-approved last year and have been waiting, like sitting and waiting to buy? Um, that is good. We do everything that we can. And in my opinion, they should have bought in November and December (laughs) or January. Um, Yeah, there are deals to be had. And negotiations to be had. Mm -hmm. And now I feel like as we get further into the Februaries and the Marches, we're going to lose more and more of that that, um, deal or uh, um, uh, ability to negotiate on price and or seller pay closing costs. So 
For us, people that have been on the sidelines, it's really, hey, uh, this, you know, let's have a conversation. This could be your year. Like I did a gazillion calls in January that literally said, this could be your year. I think this could be your year. And here's why. And I show them data. I try to get them to jump back on a Zoom call with me for like 15 minutes. Let's just look through it. And what I do is I show them, hey, this is what we have for appreciation and estimated year over year in the Twin Cities, one and a half to two and a half. But beyond that, four to 5% is what they're expecting because interest rates will go lower. And so when interest rates go lower, affordability gets a little bit better for people. So more people jump back in. So 2023 is really known as being the year of the buyer because, you know, that appreciation isn't going up so much. But I think as we go along and more into spring, it's going to get harder and harder for people to negotiate. I'm very worried that a chunk of clients at some point are going to be priced out. That's what what Beth has been sharing with me. Obviously, I'm not a realtor. And so she's been sharing this with me that they're going to get priced out. That's Mm -hmm. what's going to happen. Well, we saw it so much the last three years. It's like people that are like, oh, I'm waiting for the sky to fall. And I'm like, it's not happening. I mean, the, 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 you know, the appreciation is slowing down. But, you know, people have seen 10 years worth of appreciation in the last three years in their home. Well, and I think the other thing is it's a lot about supply and demand. Yeah. That is what it comes down to because... If you look back, like during the mortgage meltdown, which was 2008 to about 2010, technically, but it lingered for another couple of years. But builders basically stopped building for a five year period. And so the amount of homes that they built in the last decade is like a fraction of what they built the previous two decades. Mm -hmm. And our population isn't slowing down. We have the largest generation of home buyers coming of age for the last two years and for the next three to four years. So people can't tell me logically or with any data that tells me housing is going to correct at all because if 7% interest rates didn't make housing slow down to a crawl or go backwards, I can't expect anything else really will, even during a pandemic, (laughs) some of the best appreciation levels we've ever seen. Mm -hmm. But it's supply and demand. And you have more people that are wanting to buy than we have houses. In my opinion, it's going to get worse because you've got people that are sitting on two and a half, three percent, three and a half percent interest rates, that those homes are so, so affordable. And even if they are busting at the seams and they want to get to their next home for some odd reason, they want to hold on to that really good interest rate, like a baby blanket. And so those people are really looking at, do I become a landlord? Do I rent it out? Because the cash flow is so good potentially. And that just makes our inventory problem even bigger because now you've got people moving up. If they want to keep their house for a rental, it's, the conundrum is going to continue. Mm-hmm. Well, that's an interesting way to put that. I didn't think about that because yeah. that's something that we are considering. My husband and I with our home is renting it out and then, you know, purchasing a new home. And that makes sense because you take one more house out of the market yep. for a buyer. <clears throat> wow. 
That's right. So if you think about first time buyers, first time buyers are expected to be like 45% of all the purchase agreements this year in the Twin Cities. So if you think about that, first time buyers only take from the inventory, they don't give. So if I'm going to buy a house, I would sell mine and I would buy one, I would balance it, right? Mm -hmm. So the only area that we are going to get additional inventory is either builders or our aging population that is now going into you know, assisted home or 55 and older or whatever it is so that they don't take from inventory. They only give. That's the only thing that's going to balance. And I think we really got out of whack during COVID because guess what happened? Everyone was like, heck no, am I going to the nursing home? It's like a death trap there. I'm staying in my house. So it really, I mean, right. Nursing homes were like bad for people. So I really think it exacerbated that inventory because our aging population that normally would have kind of gone to that next stage were like, uh uh-uh, we're hunkered down, we're staying. Yeah. So I just think we have to think sometimes logically about what is happening out there and what's moving the populations or the generations. Yeah, inventory, it's it's legit a problem. (laughs) And we are doing everything on our team to try to be creative and think outside the box for sure. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's challenging. And I, okay. And I let's talk it. about foreclosures. Like the people oh, yeah. that are sitting on the fence going, I'm just going to like wait for the market to crash and I'm going to buy foreclosure and I'm going to get a steal of a deal. Like yes. I want to, I want to hear it straight from the horse's mouth. Like you, I know you've got the inside track on this. Okay. So, and I just heard this from a client the other day and, and I was like, okay, so <clears throat> Tell me where, where, why do you think that there's going to be foreclosures? Well, there's always foreclosures and it's foreclosures are up like 80% year over year. I'm like, okay, that is a true statement. However, there was a moratorium on foreclosures for two years. So no foreclosures could really happen. So I think the most important thing is do not wait for foreclosures because literally I don't have the stat and I should probably be more accurate, but I got to say is so little. And the reason is because if I showed you data, like the last five years, year over year, average properties increased five to 8% a year, a year. So even if you put zero down two years ago, you have got equity enough to sell that home, pay a realtor and pay off your mortgage and get out. So unless people have used their their house like a, a piggy bank, which you can't anymore. That was a mortgage meltdown 2008 thing. You can't. There always has to be equity unless you have a special government loans, et cetera. People are going to sell because they have equity. If they lose a job, if they do whatever, they're going to sell. They're not going to let it go back to the bank unless they have, uh, unless they are really, really, really not educated about how it works. And I've actually had one client, but it was a, it was someone where someone passed away and there was a, a due on death clause that was in there that didn't get filed. Right. And then they lost it to foreclosure. But again, that is one out of a hundred thousand situation. So don't wait for the foreclosures. They're not going to happen. (laughs) That clears it up. with any yeah. meaningful amount. And if a foreclosure does happen, 
most of the time they're going to get scooped up by cash investors mm-hmm. before any, you know, wholehearted buyer can go, here's our 20% down or here's our 5% down finance loan. We really are excited about it. No, they're going to get scooped up way before that. Yeah. That's a good. I'm glad because that's how I'm viewing it too. But I like to, I always like to brainstorm with like mortgage professionals too about it. And it's like, tell us just to make sure I'm on the right track. Cause that's what it feels like too on my end. No, you're waiting for something that is not going to happen. Okay. That's it's good. It's refreshing. All right. So talk to us about refinancing. Like if, when interest rates lower, what does this look like? How do you handle the objection of, I don't want to pay all the closing costs again. <clears throat> so, um, I agree with closing costs again. One thing that we are doing, and I right now I think we're doing it through May first, and we'll see if it gets extended. But really, anyone that bought in the third quarter all the way up until May one, we will do a no lender cost refinance for them automatically. So, not automatically like we're just going to refinance your mortgage. No, what it means is we'll. You know, we manage every mortgage that we do. So every month you get an equity statement that shows how your mortgage is, how your home's appreciating, how you're paying down your mortgage, what interest rates are, when does it make sense, when should we start looking. So we do that automatically for clients. And when that time comes, it is a session of, hey, this is where rates are starting to be. Here are three different options for you to look at. One option, this might be a little bit of a pipe dream. We may never get there, but if you want to wait for it, we'll give it a go. But here are two other. And we try to really get people understanding before we hit that stage. Because once we hit it, we're really busy and it's hard to, to get everyone through. And interest rates move every day. So if we offer it one day and they take two days to think about it and we miss the rate, we miss it. So we really try to make sure we're doing it up front and talking to them about what that strategy looks like and when they should be looking at it. And then it's, does it make sense? Because if we do a no lender cost refinance, usually that is going to save a client anywhere from 1800 to 2200 right off the bat. So then it's cutting that, those costs in half. And then it's a, how long you're going to be here? What's the break even? Can we roll it into the mortgage? It's not just a, oh, you should refinance this. It's, does it make sense? sense and is it in line <clears throat> excuse me with the strategy of what you're going to do or how long you're going to keep the home or kind of what life events you've got going on yeah i don't think a lot of people consider that it's not only about just having a lower interest rate if you're only going to be at the house for another year many times it doesn't make sense because you're sense. you're you're gonna put yourself in the hole exactly it does or not make sense. the dream house as your first house it makes sense for you because you're going to be there for the rest of your life Right. I mean, most people aren't in that house, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, like, yeah, you got to weigh out like what the, like actually talk through your full scenario, Mm -hmm. not just like, oh, that rate sexier than what I currently have. Yes. Because, and I won't do it for people. I really have the mentality of if I would not do this for myself, I'm not going to do it for you. That's why you're a true professional. (laughs) I just, we have a very relationship oriented business and we have clients that have you know, done four or five mortgages with us. I've done their children. I've done their, like, it's very important to me that I'm giving good advice that I, uh, if I wouldn't do it for myself, I'm not going to do it for you. 
because it has to make sense. And that's when you get people that come back. There's lots of people that will refinance your mortgage for a quarter percent lower in rate. Or there's lots of people that will show you $20,000 in fees to get that beautiful 4.99 rate. That makes absolutely no sense at all right now. But mortgages are like, I think our business, some, somewhere along the line, someone taught us to professionally confuse the consumer. And it's challenging for people to kind of read between the lines on everything. So, yeah. So I like your straight shooter. <laughs> I love it. So refreshing. It is refreshing. It is. It's why we do Zoom calls with clients, right? Because I show you exactly what we're doing, exactly what numbers look like. If I change this, that's how this adjusts. Because so many times I vis- people are visual learners. And so if they could hear me and see it, it sinks in and they go, oh, I got it. The biggest compliment I had was a client who relocated here and he's this was like his third mortgage. Um, and he came to me at a client event. He said, you know, I got to tell you, this was honestly the first time I really understood a mortgage <laughs> and how it worked and why we were doing it this way versus that way and how points worked and how that made sense for us now, but maybe not down the road and all this stuff. And I was like, thank you. I will take that as a compliment. That's a wonderful That's a compliment. Wonderful compliment. Mm-hmm. So what do you see happening with the housing market this year? What's your, what are your predictions? Um, I'm a contrarian person in general. So when the crowd goes one way, I typically like to go the opposite just because. Um, but in general, I do think interest rates are going to be lower. I think we are going to trend down very consistently. Now, that's very contrary to what just happened over the last week because interest rates popped up almost a half a point. So everyone goes, oh my goodness, and freaks out. But interest rates never move in a straight line. They're always jagged, but the trend will be lower. And so I personally think interest rates could be, you know, low fives, upper fours by third quarter, or excuse me, fourth quarter of this year or first quarter of next year. If I'm right that is going to cause a lot of people to get back into this market, a lot of buyers. And once again, the old inventory issue comes up and it's going to be just as challenging, maybe not just as much, but it's going to be a challenging year for people because it was way different when interest rates were in the twos and threes and they were offering 10, 20, 30, 40 grand higher. It's very different now when interest rates are, you know, mid to upper fives and they've got to offer more. So the biggest challenge that we're going to have is to help buyers not only win, but afford. And I think that's what we spend a chunk of our time talking about right now is how are you going to win the offer, but how are you going to afford it? And how does it make sense? That's huge. Yeah. That's so huge. Well, that was a good way to end the show. How do you win and afford the house? Right. I love it. Yeah. That's it's like your yeah. mic drop there, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I mean with strategy, right? Like sometimes we have to, <clears throat> I can't just look at the mortgage. I got to look at everything. Like, yeah. okay, well, what do you pay out on this? Can we do, can we put a little less down in the house? And can we pay off though? That frees up five to 600 bucks a month of cash flow. Will that make you feel more at ease, you know, during this period or whatever? It's like just having those real discussions with people, I think is so important to keep them motivated and keep them going, I can really do this. We can make take that next step. 
awesome. Well, tell us where people can find you. Um, you know, probably my website is the biggest hub. So lisawellsloans.com. That will take you to any of my social spots. That will also take you to videos that we do on YouTube. We post a lot on YouTube. Um, so any of those spots you can find me, but my website's probably the hub of all of them. I love it. Thank you so much for being on today. This is great. Yeah. Yeah. This was fun. Thank you. I I hope everybody learned something here today and it's awesome to have a woman mortgage professional that like knows her shit. It is. It is so refreshing. So refreshing. Financing is the mortgage is usually the man's world. So Yeah. That's what makes you stand out. Well, until next time, Bus Bench Babes, keep your face off a bus bench and keep being the badass boss babes that you are. Okay, girls, are you feeling as inspired as we are? We're over here cheering you on because you just finished another episode of the Girl Get Your Face Off a Bus Bench podcast. If you want more, head over to girlgetyourfaceoffabusbench.com for show notes and more episodes. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. They mean the world to us and they're what keep us going. Girl, thanks for being here.